Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, we are tracking the after-hours action in Chipotle, Whirlpool, Las Vegas Sands. All three stocks on the move on earnings. We're breaking down the quarters and the calls straight ahead. Plus, a Bitcoin bloodbath. One top money manager says the cryptocurrency is about to lose half of its value. We'll debate that call. And later, the bullpen is stacked for tonight's Fast Pitch. Two traders, not just one, but two, making the case for one stock. Why they both think this name is a total grand slam. I know I'm mixing up the sports metaphors. But we start off with the one chart that could be sending a major warning signal to the rest of the market. Check out what happened to Netflix today on the back of disappointing earnings. The stock dropping more than 7% for its worst day since November. Netflix is one of the first major stay-at-home, high-growth names to report. We're going to hear from the other big tech titans in the coming days. So did Netflix just shoot off a major warning flare to investors that we are in for some rocky earnings ahead? Dan, what do you say? Yeah, well, listen, Mel, you know, if you think back to January when the company, Netflix in particular, um, had blowout subscriber numbers, the stock gapped up, I think, 13, 14 percent to a new all time high. And what did it do over the next couple of weeks? It gave all of that back. So here we are now into this print and they disappointed the stock down seven and a half percent today. Doesn't seem really that horrible. If you think about it, this stock in particular has been range bound for months and months and months. I'll just tell you this, though. I see a lot of those stay at home names not acting particularly well. So it may not be great for them. And then the last thing about tech I just say is that we've seen this move into mega cap names over the last few weeks. We've seen Apple, Amazon kind of mount some moves. We've seen Microsoft um, and Alphabet do pretty well also, I think those are really dragging up the S&P 500. And then some old tech. We have a chart of Oracle going back 20 years. This thing went parabolic over the last few months. And then Jim Cramer caught my eye today on Twitter, as he often does to all of us. He said it's different this time in IBM. Do you see this IBM breakout? We have a chart going back to January 20. So to me, the move into mega cap tech into old tech seems kind of defensive. And I think the price action of some of these work from home names or the stay at home names acting particularly poorly is probably not great for tech overall. Yeah, Netflix in particular, the crosshairs of high valuation tech, but also are we just massively underestimating the amount of pull forward a lot of these stay-at-home names um, have seen? And are we going to start seeing that come to roost during earnings season? Pete, what do you say? Well, I, I think absolutely, Mel. I, when I look at Netflix, when I look at Peloton, Activision, Take-Two, all the stay-at-home stocks that did so well, at some point in time, when you're looking at multiples in a lot of different names, the DocuSigns and the Pelotons, you have to say to yourself, is this all getting pulled up so fast that it's way ahead of itself? My answer is yes. It's a lot of names that I've actually stayed away from for the most part, and I continue to stay away from. I'll trade some of these names, Mel, but quite frankly, when you have two, three, four-digit type PEs or no PE, that is a danger zone. And a lot of these that are the stay-at-homes, the DocuSigns, and a lot of these various names, I think they're great companies. I think they'll be great in a hybrid world. But I also think that many of them are so far in front of themselves, they've pulled up 
maybe a year, maybe even further in terms of how much they've pulled into where they are right now, where they're somewhat quote unquote pricing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that Netflix is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some of these names. Yeah, and Karen, you've been short the IGV, the software ETF, which of course is a you know ground zero maybe for, for very high valuation names in the markets. How are you feeling going into earnings? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to stay short, and I mm -hmm. am short. It actually hasn't worked in the last, I don't know, two or three weeks or so. But I agree completely with Dan and with Pete that, you know, these are stay-at-home names that we're really looking forward now to reopening. So that's one. The, you know, how expensive they are as a multiple, that's two. I think we will see rates higher, so that's going to push on the multiple. But also, I just think it's a rotation out. And then the last thing, I think Netflix is kind of idiosyncratic in some ways. It's its own little story. It was its own little industry before everybody got in. And I, I, so I don't know that we can extrapolate from them, but I do believe that the stay-at-home rotation out of stay-at-home has ways, a ways to go. So I'm staying short IGV and long my sort of, I don't know if they're old school tech now, Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, um, I think, and Facebook, I think they're still, they can be considered value stocks, particularly Facebook and Alphabet. Yeah. How idiosyncratic do you think Netflix is, Tim? Or is there an extrapolation? When Reed Hastings says, we've had 10 years of growing smooth as silk or something to that effect, and now it looks a little wobbly, um, how specific is that to Netflix versus just some of these high growth stay-at-home names in general? Yeah, I mean, building on everyone said something a little bit different here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll, I'll weigh in on I think Netflix issues are Netflix issues. Netflix came into this as a high multiple stock. It came into COVID as a high multiple stock. But by the way, it came into, into COVID with a great chart. It, it you know it wasn't just that this was suddenly a stay-at-home stock. Um, this was a stock that was re-rating. It was re-rating around free cash flow. It was re-rating about starting to maybe pay down some of that that debt and and break free on on you know some of that heavy capex. But look, I I, I think the story that Reed Hastings. Uh, you've highlighted, you know, he, he's almost welcomed competition. The, the, the commentary um, since this earnings number is, hey, you know what? Um, the competition's kind of gotten a little fierce around us. I mean, that's my interpretation of this. Uh, it used to be that the fall of the linear TV had room for many boats. Well, you've got many boats. And, and I, I just think that this is a case where it is a high multiple stock. Uh, it is a stay-at-home stock, uh, but very different dynamics to me. And I don't think Dan saying this or Karen saying this, but then, then Zoom and Peloton. Um, I, I think this is a case where the streaming space is incredibly crowded. I think Netflix, uh, a lot of people where they were you know, two years ago saying out of nowhere they had the best content or, you know, a, a year ago, that's that's what we would hear about Netflix. That Look out, Disney. Can you even keep up? Meanwhile, um, I think this is really about, hey, guess what? Disney's content, I, I think, especially now that we're seeing this this uh, quarterly, you know, kind of crank process by their studio mm -hmm. um, is, I, I still think, the bar to clear. So. Yeah. Um, Yes, I think it's particular to Netflix, but I also think that the high multiple tech stocks are to be watched. I mean, if you remember back to, I want to say, two years ago or so when Reed Hastings was talking about competition, he didn't view competition strictly as other streaming services that would be launched. He also viewed, for instance, video games, things that get people's attention, capture people's eyeballs as competition. And with the reopening here upon us, that competition, broadly speaking, has just expanded tremendously. The competition is going to have dinner with a friend now. The competition is actually going to a movie. The competition, all these things that we have not been able to do for the past year all of a sudden becomes Netflix's competition. That said, Dan, 
The slate of content is only going to get stronger later this year. They're still on track in terms of profitability and free cash flow. Should we look at this dip as, as an opportunity? Well, Mel, you just said it. I mean, that was the thing that got investors excited back in January when they announced their Q4. And it was that that free cash flow improvement because they had been investing in all that content. So now we're going to have this big gap between where they what the content that they have right now, what's been taken off and gone back to the streamers like Peacock um, and Hulu and some of these other uh, Disney Plus, obviously. Um, so listen, to me, what you're really talking about here is the attention economy, right? So now we have, as the kids say, stuff to do in IR. <laughs> L. Um, guy's not here. He knows what that means. And then you also have, what are we talking about this week with Apple and Spotify? We're talking about podcasts. I mean, the list goes on and on of the things that are really vying for our attention here. And I think, I think Reed Hastings was right a couple years ago. They're just in a very different competitive spot right now. So to me, I think this stock remains range bound. And Tim's, or, or Pete said it really well. I mean, really, they pulled for a lot of behavior. This company was not growing subs in North America coming into the pandemic. So I suspect they're likely to see a deceleration, a lot of the metrics that people got excited about in January. And that's why the stock remains range bound. In my I opinion. mean, look at Pete's background. I think that he's going to be going to, to that beach down there instead of streaming some sort of like Lupin or whatever, you know, French uh, movie that he's going to, <laughs> going to watch. Um, but Pete, would you say that, that this could in fact be an opportunity in Netflix here with this pullback? You know what? I don't know that I do see that as an opportunity. I agree okay. with what Dan's saying. I think that there's a lot of different aspects of what's going on with Netflix specifically and what they were able to do and draw, what they did draw forward when we talk about the pandemic. But coming out of the pandemic, yeah, there's sporting events, there's concerts. You just mentioned a, bu a bunch of different areas, Mel, that I think are going to attract attention and eyeballs. There's only so many hours in the day. And I think that's going to be a problem. And we all know that North America was slowing down. So the one area that I think would still be a positive potential, at least going forward for Netflix, international. And that's something that we don't get a chance to talk about as much. But obviously, we know over the last few years, they've been growing, growing, growing internationally. And I think they're going to be able to continue to do that. But I think we're going to have to expect to see the North American numbers continue to maybe go down and go mm -hmm. down a little faster than expected. All right. Well, one top technician is starting to see some trouble in the charts. Chris Verone of Strategic is here to lay it all out. Hey, Chris, what are you seeing? Hey, Mel, yeah, you know, I think we're just at a point where we want to start to be a little bit mindful of the cycle. We put out a note this morning to clients with the title, Time to Raise Our Guard. And I just want to be prepared for a period of the market here that may be a little frustrating. And I want to put some historical comps into place. And we brought along a, a couple charts here. And the first one I just want to show you is a reminder that we're now about 13 months uh, off the low. And when you look historically at the two historical analogs that we comp closest with, the first year off the 82 09 low, it was roughly in this kind of 13, 14 months off those bottoms where markets began to run into some trouble. Now, none of this proved fatal, but it can prove frustrating. So I want to be aware as we start to move into the weaker seasonal stretch of the calendar, we are competing with this collision of expectations in reality. And the first year of a new bull market, it's very easy to beat expectations. In the second year, that gets more challenging. I think the second thing that we just want to be aware of is under the surface, despite some really good data over the last four or five weeks, we've actually lost some pockets of this market. You know, we've seen small caps diverge. And the second chart that I'm showing you here is just the percent of stocks above the 50-day moving average, the S&P 
versus the Russell 2000, you still have something like 80% of the S&P above the 50. That number's 40% for the Russell 2. So there's been a big chunk of market cap that really hasn't been on the field the last five or six weeks. I just think it's something we want to draw our attention to kind of in preparation for this weaker seasonal period. And then maybe most importantly for us, just in the context of leadership, you know, looking at this third chart, which is consumer discretionary relative to consumer staples, um, you know, we printed a 10% retail sales number last week, and we've actually had consumer discretionary underperform in the aftermath of that. So I think this all speaks to an environment where the expectations are pretty big, and it might not be as easy to live up to that going forward. So I want to focus on some names right now that I think in this little bit more challenging environment can offer some relative strength. And there's one in healthcare, Amgen, which has been essentially dead money for the better part um, of the last seven, eight months, starting to break out here, getting it up through that 260 level, we think will be a big deal. It's also started to turn on a relative versus the S&P. So we've seen the relative improvement improve. Uh, we've seen the stock push up against 260. I think it's on the verge of breaking out. And I also find it really curious if we go on to the next thing here, that despite some really strong data, all the gold stocks have actually started to firm here. Here's Newmont Mining, NEM, uh, just on the verge of breaking out above that 65 range. Again, a nice turn relative to the S&P. So I think in an environment where we're working towards a more difficult part of the calendar, where the comps are really aggressive, we just want to be on guard for some of these more defensive groups starting to show some leadership. We see it with pharma and biotech. We okay. see it with gold here as well. So can we broaden that statement out, Chris, and say, you know, Amgen or healthcare? XLV is, is very multifaceted, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at what some of the big weights are in there, they're all kind of getting better. I mean, I, I think it's remarkable that since the vaccine pause, J&J has actually outperformed. Mm. That's important information, right? We always look for examples in this business when things don't go down when they should. J&J should have gone down on that news. It didn't. Pfizer has firmed. Bristol-Myers looks better. Abby turning up. So I think there's a collection of these big cap healthcare names and a collection of gold stocks that are firming uh, here as well. All right, Chris, good to see you. Thank you. Chris Varon of Strategus. I asked about XLV because, as you remember, Carter Braxton Worth, a cornerstone macro, also recommended healthcare as a defensive area of this market. So two strategists within the past week, two strategists, not just strategists or technicians, but two in the pantheon of technicians have recommended healthcare, Karen. <laughs> Yes, I like healthcare. I mean, I've focused mine on big cap pharma, just a collection of, you know, Lilly, Abby, Pfizer, Merck, um, Bristol Myers, just because in the hunt for value, these are really value stocks. And I know you always, you know, there's the bear case of, you know, is the government going to be negotiating prices more heavily? And they're always sort of a target. I don't think they are so much of a target anymore. But these PE multiples and these, I don't buy things for dividend yield, but I'm not going to hold it against them that they have a good yield. So I like the space. It's moved a lot in the last two weeks, but I still think it has room to go. It, it's hardly close to frothy. Chris uh, liked the miners, and he had a, uh, had a little hat tip to Johnson & Johnson and the price action. So I have to go to Tim on these two. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned I, I like J&J. I, I think the pharma, it's not just pipeline, but I mean, you know, pharma, pharma growth is kind of upper uh, single digits, uh, more than peers, I think, there, and medical devices. But the gold call is really cool um, because, you know, the great irony, of course, is that everyone's been talking about Bitcoin as they should have. We've seen some consolidation there. 
Gold's been left for dead. Look, if you like the miners, you have to, I think, like the metal, at least at this part of the cycle, because a lot of the, the low-hanging fruit in, in terms of balance sheet cleanup and whatnot is, is out of the way. Um, gold's been dead money since the summer. It's down 13% or so. And I, I actually like the chart on, on gold getting back above the 100 right about here. Um, and if we get into a period where I think we have some concerns with the broader market, I think gold will outperform. And silver has been outperforming gold. So look mm -hmm. at SLV as well. All right. Well, we've got an earnings alert on Chipotle. The stock is seesawing after hours of the company's call underway right now. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the numbers. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa, the company sounding very upbeat on that conference call. A big EPS beat for Chipotle this quarter with revenues coming in right in line. Comstore sales increased 17.2% for the first quarter. Comps were the highest during March, and April is already off to a good start, CEO Brian Nichols said on that call. Digital sales, of course, continue to be a big driver here, growing 134% year over year, accounting for 50% of sales, also slightly above the COVID peak the company saw last year. Chipotle is now guiding for comp sales in the high 20s to 30% for the second quarter. That's in line with estimates, but not giving full 2021 comp sales numbers due to ongoing uncertainty with COVID. Cauliflower rice will continue through mid-May and continues to bring in new customers. Quesadillas, which are a digital-only offering, are performing well along with carne asada. The company now has 21 million members in its rewards program. It opened 40 new locations in the quarter. 26 had Chipotle lanes. Those tend to boost margins for the company and drive sales. Nickel also said the company will continue to make tech investments in the future and highlighted its recent investment in robotic delivery company Neuro, which also works with Domino and Kroger. We're going to talk all about the quarter and more tomorrow with Brian Nickel, the Chipotle CEO on The Exchange, in a first on CNBC interview around 1 p.m. Melissa, back over to you. All right, look forward to that, Kate. Thank you. Let's trade Chipotle. Um, Pete, do you think the stock is moving as it should so far in the after hours? I'm a little surprised it wasn't moving faster to the upside, Mel. And my reasoning yeah. is this Brian Nickel, ever since he has stepped in, honestly, to this role, he's the Satya Nadello of fast food. I mean, what he's done is he transformed <laughs> what was a broken business, just like Satya did, a broken business at Microsoft. This was a broken business. They had all sorts of issues. They had an E. coli breakout, all of the different things that they had to face for a long period of time. This gentleman came in here from Taco Bell and transformed this company digitally, and he changed the culture. And I think that combination is why they are where they are today. And he's getting them to become more and more. I just heard Kate say tech, and that's exactly what they are. They are becoming like a tech company. And that's what they are in terms of the digitalization of what they're trying to do going forward. And I think it's a really, really interesting concept. Yes, they traded a premium valuation. I think some of that will start to come in a little bit because they're getting so much growth that at least we're starting to see that valuation level will drop down a little bit. If you look at the full year, and I think the most important thing is Raymond James came out just a couple weeks ago very, very bullish on this company. They didn't wait to hear the numbers. They didn't wait like everybody else and wanted to react the next day like we saw on Netflix today where everybody saw suddenly looked at those numbers, everybody downgrades. This particular analyst came out with a lot of very positive talk about what's going on at Chipotle, and I think he's exactly right. In terms of the full year, though, how can analysts be so sure? I mean, Kate just said, COVID uncertainties is what the CEO said. And, and Chris, I love this phrase that Chris Barone used, a, the collision between expectation mm -hmm. and reality. And are we going to see that this year maybe with Chipotle, Dan? 
Yeah, well, and we've already seen it this year, Mel. When you think about it, the last time the stock was trading at all-time high was in mid-February. And what happened there? The stock sold off nearly 20% over the next few weeks. And so I think it's really important. You know, you asked a great question of Pete. Are you surprised the stock's not moving differently after that sort of guidance? The point is, the stock's already moved into this. And it's got a textbook sort of Gaia Dami double top here um, in and around that kind of uh, $1,550, $1,600 level. So it's going to take even better news for it to broaden out a little bit or break out above those prior all-time highs. And it's going to take probably a market that has better breadth, too. All right. Coming up, Bitcoin bulls beware. One major market mind is calling for some serious crypto carnage. Why he sees Bitcoin losing, get this, half its value. The details straight ahead. But first, we've got a double earnings alert for you. Whirlpool and Las Vegas Sands both on the move in the after hours. We'll get you all the headlines after this quick break. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back. We've got earnings alerts on Whirlpool and Las Vegas Sands. Both stocks on the move after hours. A full team coverage standing by to break down the results. Contessa Brewers digging in on LVS. We kick things off with Seema Modi and more on Whirlpool's quarter. Seema. Melissa, housing boom continues to fuel Whirlpool's earnings, the company doubling its operating profit. On closing bell, Whirlpool's CEO Mark Bitzer pointed to the underlying strength in the housing market, continuing to drive demand for housing goods and appliances like washing machines. He sees a multi-year upside in the housing market and says the consumer's focus on the home is not going away. Bits are also mentioning inflationary pressures and higher input costs. In response, the company is raising prices by 5 to 12 percent. The company joining the likes of Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, General Mills and Coca-Cola that are also hiking prices due to this raw material uh, situation we're in right now. Looking at shares of Whirlpool higher in extended trade and up about 30 percent year to date. Mel? All right, Seema, thanks. Tim, I go straight to you. You fast pitch this one and look at it now. 
Well, it, it's extraordinary the, the tailwind in the sector that has legs to it. And this isn't about a stay-at-home you know, dynamic. This is about a cycle. This is also a cycle that really for most of COVID has been highly constrained. Uh, if you look at, at sales year over year, even well through the end of 2020, um, they were down based upon constraints. And, and, and you're starting to see um, some alleviation. But some of the regional growth, I mean, EMEA, um, this is a global story. It's not just North America, up 33%. North America was up 19.8%. Um, they're adding to a buyback, which, you know, isn't a game changer, but there was almost no buyback in place. They've added $2 billion, now $2.5 billion roughly uh, in a buyback. So um, stock already going into these numbers. I think the bar was high. Um, they, they, crushed the, they crushed the bar well, well over. Karen, if there was any sort of benefit from the pandemic and people being at home and using their appliances more and realizing, you know what, I do need a new dishwasher or I need a better dryer or whatever that is, when that goes away, there is no impact on Whirlpool, you think? I think there will be an impact eventually, but I don't know when that's going away. Remember, on top of that, people being at home and using that new washer dryer, remember home building also Right. So and home builders are still they're in a, a huge bull market. So I think we're going to see that for some time, this continued demand. And remember, their businesses also um, is worldwide. So areas like Latin America, they're behind us. They've got further to run before you know they come back. We're a lot closer to coming back. So, I mean, on, on so many metrics, this quarter was phenomenal. As Tim said, the bar was very high. It actually made me a little bit nervous how high the bar was, given what great housing numbers we've seen. And yet they stepped over it. But to me, the most important thing, and it's broader than just Whirlpool, Mm -hmm. is the giant expansion in their margins. Despite having raw material costs up 5%, they were able to get a 6-plus percent improvement in their margin by pricing and mix. So that's, to me, what I think is going to be the theme of this earnings season. What are companies able to do with those higher costs? Yeah. How do much can they pass them on? Yeah. Do they have pricing power? Let's get to a Las Vegas Sands here. Also on the move in the after hours, let's get to Contessa Brewer with all the details. Contessa. The call just wrapped up here, Melissa, and the chairman and CEO, Rob Goldstein, blamed the quarterly results squarely on the pandemic. He says it's impossible to predict when air travel will return to Singapore because neighboring countries are still struggling with these resurgent infections. We're told, though, slot business has been strong in Singapore and that vaccinations are starting to return that country to something resembling more normal. In March, Macau started to pick up. The junkets, or what they call VIP, have been slow, though. The COO of Sands China, Grant Chum, says it stands at 20 percent of pre-pandemic levels. But premium mass, now these are the big spenders who come in, Outside of an organized junket, they deal directly with the casinos. That's now at 50 percent of pre-pandemic levels. They're expecting that trend to continue. On the verge of seeing the border between Hong Kong and Macau potentially reopen, they said on the call. And Las Vegas, of course, is booming. We dived into that a bit. Good news for Apollo and Vici, which are buying the operations and the real estate here. And one more note. The late Sheldon Adelson used to start these calls with, Yay, dividends. It stood at 79 cents last year before the company had to yank it because of all these closures. Patrick Dumont Sands, COO, says it is still the cornerstone of the company's plan to return capital, but the dividend can't be restored until operations return to a baseline level. They're hoping that will be some 500 billion dollars, 5 billion dollars, rather not 500 billion dollars in in Asia. Melissa. 
Adelson was also very anti-internet gaming contestant. I'm wondering how that has changed under the new uh, leadership. Yeah, you know, on the call, and I quote here, Rob Goldstein said, we have a voracious appetite to be in that space. He says it's going to happen in North America, potentially in Europe or South America, not in Asia. And he says the good news is because we sold the Las Vegas properties and operations, we have the capital to invest in it. We're going to go into it in a way that is smart and targeted. Yeah. Contessa, thanks. Contessa Brewer. Pete Najarian, how are you feeling about LVS or maybe yeah. some of the other casino stocks? Yeah, you know, Mel, especially LVS, obviously, the international exposure is what mm -hmm. we're talking about here. It's always been. I mean, that's where the revenues really come from. So they are still dealing with it, as Contessa was defining to us. They're still dealing with a lot of different headaches and the variants and everything else. I do think, however, when we start to see that opening start to really accelerate, which I believe we will, we'll start to see the vaccines, I think, distributed much faster. And because of that, I think going forward, I think there's, there's, the sky is the limit, quite frankly, for a company like this. I loved your question, too, about the Internet gambling, though, Mel. I think that is the real key. They've got to get themselves logged into that spot, and they have the cash to do it. They can do it. They will do it. It sounds like sounds like it's an absolute automatic they're going to do that. I think that combination means that this stock can go a lot higher in the future. The question here, though, is do you want or would you rather be more exposed <laughs> to a Vegas casino operator as opposed to the international revenues with the U.S. right here at reopening? Dan. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I mean, Pete kind of hit it here, and we know that Wynn and LVS have that similar exposure, but I do agree with him that I think once it becomes a bit more global as far as herd immunity, um, Macau is going to be a rocket ship. It's going to be that simple, and you're going to want the most exposure there because here in the U.S., we're starting to get the trickle back to Vegas. You're also getting that, that legal gambling. There's some obviously some pretty specific plays there online, um, but I think you'd probably want to be in a win at that point point and play for a move back to peak sales, which hopefully comes uh, sooner than two years is what consensus is expecting right now. All right. Well, we've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Alibaba Blues. What's got the stock stuck in a funk here? The details in that trade ahead. But first, we've got a reach for the stars. Over the fence, world series kind of fast pitch for you. Karen and Dan are both taking the mound, making their bull case for the same stock. Grab your Cracker Jacks, because you're not going to want to miss this. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Okay, I'm speaking right to you, Dan. I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong, right? Remember that iconic Fast Money moment? Well, times have changed. Karen and Dan are now teaming up for a fast pitch. They're both taking the mound tonight to pitch their best idea. They arm wrestled earlier to see who would go first. Guess what? She won. Sherwin won. So she is the starting pitcher. So Karen, take it away. Yeah. So our fast pitch, our collective fast pitch is Viacom. 
So Viacom, obviously a lot in the news lately. It was an innocent bystander in a speculative frenzy. The stock went up, I think, slightly north of 100. Guy always says stocks take the escalator up and the elevator down. This was a rocket ship, uh, an elevator driven by a margin called down, the likes of which we have never seen. So for me, I always come back to valuation. So here we are at about 10 and a half times earnings. And the linear business, we all know that there's a secular decline there, but this still has tremendous value. And we will see improvement in ads, in ad spending as the world reopens. And there's a lot of value in that legacy business that they've still been able to sign up new cable deals. So it ain't dead yet. The other part is Paramount Plus, right? So this is a new streaming service. CBS All Access became Paramount Plus. And we'll see the numbers soon. They're going to start a $4.99 subscription, I think, in June. And if you take out what the, some value, meaningful, reasonable, sorry, valuation of the legacy business, you have streaming business that trades at a significant, significant discount to Netflix and to Disney, as it should. It should trade at a fraction to those, but it shouldn't trade at this fraction, which is tiny. So that's another chance for more value. Put that all together. I'm long Viacom. I bought a little higher than here. I bought a little lower than here. If I own none, I would buy it right here. All right. Let's bring in the relief pitcher. Dan, what is your case? <laughs> <laughs> Always relief to Karen here. I'll take that spot. I mean, listen, I, I think the valuation case she makes is, is a great one here. Um, when you think about that Paramount Plus business and you think about this stock trading at about 10 times and you expect, you know, earnings and sales to be rising over the next few years here, you have a stock that, you know, is really cheap. And if it was just to be revalued on that one portion of their business, I think you have a stock that's probably at least $50 here. So when you look at that chart that we have, I mean, Karen, Karen just mentioned innocent bystander here, but they took some good advantage of that move at 85 bucks they sold i don't know over two billion dollars worth of stock they have that on their balance sheet here and if you also look exactly where this stock stopped to the penny, as our friend Carter Braxton Worth would say, it was right at that breakout from early January here. So there's really good technical support. They just raised some cash. They have some probably really favorable comparative valuation here. So I like Karen's setup here. I think it makes sense, um, you know, playing for a move back above 50 in the not so distant future. Tim has a question for somebody, either Karen or Dan. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I think I got to talk to the starting pitcher here who was painting the corners there early. And Karen, so you talked about kind of just the some of the absurdity of the move. How much of this and Dan has talked about this, too. How much of this is really just uh, the, the chaos of, of the capital markets versus a streaming business that 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 I think uh, the market doesn't impute enough value to relative to really where they are? Um, people didn't think they were going to be here a year ago. Right. Well, first I want to establish, was I taken out? Of, do I have a relief pitcher because I was taken out of the game or I just did such a good job? That you, know. Said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you know what? I'm not it's, sure. We're just not okay, equipped don't in this metaphor that. to have two people. So we're just sort of, I mean, you know, we've got aces on the, on the mount, like all sorts of mixed metaphors here going on. So just look past it. What's your answer? <laughs> all right. So this shakeout, I don't think we really, we saw puke out, giant puke out at the end of March, and then some more dribbling of puke out, and I think that's what this last bit was. They don't tell us exactly why, but I think this dynamic was so much more the unwinding of the Archegos and everybody else who lent money to them disaster than it was a commentary on streaming. So we haven't even really seen that yet. 
and I'm hoping they get some more credit than what I think is embedded there, which is not a lot. All right, no more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Karen and Dan's pitch on Viacom CBS? Only two traders vote today. Pete, what do you say? Well, one other thing that I'd even add to this is the short position is still very large in here. So I think these guys are right on it. I think there's room for the stock to move, and it could move very quickly. So I'm going to say Viacom is a buy. This could have been like a, a three-way fast pitch. Uh, Tim, <laughs> what do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm a buyer of Karen and a seller of Dan, um, which I, I, I'm a buyer of the whole thing. Um, what, what, can I, what can I tell you? Just kidding. Uh, I, I think the streaming business with 35 million subs is, is well, well undervalued here. And you know how I felt about those legacy players who are growing their streaming businesses. I think it's worth something here. All right, two votes for the joint fast pitch. The traders have spoken. It is your turn now to vote. Are you buying Karen and Dan's double play fast pitch on Viacom CBS? The double play, that doesn't really work either. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will get you the results at the end of the show. But up next, attention all holders. A 50% haircut. That is what one top crypto watcher is calling for. More on that next. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin feeling the blues again today. The cryptocurrency is now down nearly 15 percent since sitting a record just before Coinbase started trading last week. We ask then, has Bitcoin hit its peak? Well, listen to what Guggenheim CIO Scott Minard had to say this morning about where prices are going. Given the, the massive move we've had in Bitcoin over the short run, uh, things are, are very frothy. And uh, I, I think we're going to have to have a, a major correction in Bitcoin. Uh, and I've said it before, I think we could pull back to, you know, twenty to 30,000 on Bitcoin, which would be, you know, a 50 percent uh, decline. You might recall back in November, Guggenheim disclosed in a regulatory filing that its macro opportunities fund held the right to invest up to 10 percent of its net asset value in grayscale Bitcoin trust, GBTC. Um, So where do we think Bitcoin is uh, right now, Dan? Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you go back and just look at the history of Bitcoin, it's had no shortage of 50% peak to trough declines, and it's still much greater. So on this year alone, it's up you know, about 100% um, year over year. It's had some peak to trough declines. I think the largest one was in January, about 30%, but they've gotten smaller each month since then. Then it was 26% in February. Then it was 18% in March. And this one is about 15% now. So um, I think there's a lot of hodlers, as they say, who would welcome a very healthy pullback, get out some of the weak hands and let them reload. Because these people, you know where their price targets are, Mel. They're much higher than 65000 where it just was last month. Yeah. And let's be clear, Minard is, is overall a bull on Bitcoin. This is a, a short-term phenomenon he's, he's forecasting here. What is interesting, too, though, is the search. We see this in the stock market. Something goes up, and so there's a search for an alternative asset that will have the same sort of um, beta and we're seeing this in some of the altcoins and, and not even talking about Ethereum. Um, but if you take up Bitcoin and Ethereum, the rest of the coin universe, that market share has actually gone up to 34 percent from 16 percent just in the past three months, according to Pantera. Um, and so this is an interesting sort of phenomenon that we are witnessing, Tim. I'm not even going to bring up Dogecoin. There are plenty of other altcoins out there that are not created as jokes. So there are plenty of other places to go on this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to comment on Doge. By the way, Pantera, great, great fund, incredible heavy metal band. I know you know that, Mel. I have no idea. Um, but. So <laughs> if, if, if you look at what's going on in the, in the broader market, um, I, 
uh, you know, I think that the validation here institutionally is, is something that just continues to grow. Um, so I, I, Scott could be right. Um, and I think Dan is right. And, and in fact, look at January, February and March, where I, I think we had pullbacks of 20 to 30 percent in each month um, where we all kind of said, yeah, you know, so what? Um, so, I, I, look, I, I think the, the broader digital universe is, is really the, the question of, you know, where's their efficacy uh, and which are truly the underlying ones. And I, and I think Ethereum right now um, clearly has a lot of momentum behind this being, uh, you know, the backbone of what much will be built. Whether that is true or not, um, that is an argument that's not terribly frothy yet. Yeah, I mean, if you believe in all this DeFi going on out there, then you, you probably believe in Ethereum at this point. Pete, just your quick thoughts on crypto here. Yeah, you know, Mel, I think if you're looking for volatility in this marketplace, that's where you want to look right now, right? I mean, we're trading at a 17 VIX, 18 VIX, and it's been very, very tight recently and staying in there. But if you want a little volatility, it certainly is there. I'll tell you what, Scott Minard, I have all the respect in the world for him. I think he's one of the smarter guys on Wall Street, and he is very, very accurate oftentimes as well. So to, for him to say that, I don't think he's just saying that, just, uh, you know, <laughs> throwing it out there. I think he actually believes that, and I think that that's a possibility. I don't know that it's a strong possibility, but certainly with the move that we've seen just this past weekend, 61,000 to 51,000 to open back up at 56,000. I mean, that shows you what kind of a volatility we're talking about. Yep. Coming up, Bye Bye Baba. Hmm. Shares of the e-commerce giant under pressure this week. The traders are breaking down the move next. And don't forget to vote in our fast pitch. Are you buying Carrot and Dan's case for Viacom CBS? Head to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money to weigh in. The results are coming up, so stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba under pressure again today. The shares of the Chinese tech company falling today. The stock is now down more than 4% over the past week. So, Karen, what is your take on this weakness? Yeah, so this one has really been a thorn in my side. I, I think it's not only Alibaba. I think Tencent, JD, uh, JD.com, uh, Maiton are all down. But I think specific to Alibaba, couple of things that came out this week. One, they lowered their fees for merchants. I think this was part of the antitrust settlement that we saw. I don't know if that was last week or the week before. A second reason might be Maiton, which I just mentioned, raising $10 billion. They say they want to compete with Alibaba. They are kind of the Alibaba of the services. Um, the third thing is Jack Ma. Uh, there was a story earlier that was sort of, um, I don't know if it was officially denied that he would be selling his aunt I actually think uh, isolating Jack Ma from the story would sort of be a positive if that happened. One thing I saw today, and I wondered if this hangs on it, is that SoftBank was increasing their margin loan backed by their Alibaba stock to $10 billion. So, you know, we're all kind of uh, sensitive to the idea of stock that's being um, a collateral for a margin loan. I don't know if that was weighing on it as well. Mm -hmm. I think the stock was just so sick of going down every day it actually managed to end the day only down very slightly. Um, I put on this today a 240-260 one by two call spread for May 21st, which is their earnings. Um, I, maybe I'll call it into options action on Friday, see what people think, or maybe Pete can opine. I don't know. I, th I wanted more exposure. <laughs> that, would, that would blow up on the, on the Twitterverse, that's for sure. Um, Tim, do you think that this Baba weakness is just sort of the, the anti-monopolistic crackdown that Beijing is imposing on, on dozens of Internet companies there? 
Yeah, and I think that you've removed the value of, uh, again, some of the investments in the Ant and, you know, even Alipay. And, and I think, I, I, look, I, I love the fact that there's a fine that's been paid and a, a page turned. And, and I think not a lot of look back on this. I think their, their GMV, their dominance is not really rooted in pushing merchants around. I mean, Tmall and Taobao are, just dominate. And if you want to do a sum of the parts on this, um, just their e-commerce business and just their cloud business, this is a $250 stock. Doesn't count $28 of cash in the balance sheet. Doesn't count $40, $40 a share in media assets. Doesn't count um, $10 a share in, in um, some of their, their broader investment services. So I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of sum of the parts value here. I, I think there's naturally concerns about Big Brother in China. Uh, I think it's overdone, but the stock trades awfully, and it's been frustrating for, mm. for, for me and Karen and other shareholders. Yep. All right, coming up, Intel earnings are on deck. Why options traders are betting on a major surge for the semi-stock. We'll bring you the trade. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. There's a big name on deck after the bell tomorrow. Intel, the stock has just about doubled gains in the semi-ETF this year. So what should we expect from this report? Um, Pete, you mentioned the Satya Nadella of Chipotle. I mean, is Pat Gelsinger going to be the Satya Nadella of <laughs> Intel? He, he might be. He really might be. I think this is the obviously I think he's the right guy for the job because they, they've had to go through some CEOs of late, unfortunately, and a lot of stumbling along the way. So I do think he's the right guy. He came back to Intel rejoins them. He's got manufacturing plans. They've got a $21 billion in free cash flow. This guy, they'd be able to pay for what their manufacturing facility is going to cost just off cash flow. I like what he's doing so far early. All right. Well, let's bring in Mike Coe to get a preview of what is uh, the setup for Intel in the options pits. Mike, what do you see? Yeah. So despite the fact that Intel has lagged the broad market and lagged the semis over the course of the last month, call option volume has significantly outpaced put option volume for the last month or so. And that was true again today. Calls outpacing puts by about two to one. The most active options were the weekly 67 strike calls. 9,600 plus of those were trading for about 44 cents. That's implying a more than 6% move to the upside if those calls are going to be profitable. So it does seem that some institutional traders are betting that the languishing stock could actually turn around this following the earnings. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is the last call to vote for Karen and Dan's Fast Pitch. Do you think Viacom CBS is a buy? Head to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We got the results after this quick break. Welcome back. It is time to find out if you are buying Dan and Karen's tag team fast pitch on Viacom and Grand Slam, another misplaced sports metaphor. More than 68% of you voted yes. <laughs> Congratulations, Dan and Karen. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen, what do you say? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with my power trade Viacom and thanks to Mariano Dan Rivera, my closer there. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Your metaphor was fine, Mel. Alibaba's also fine. Thank you. All right, Pete. <laughs> I'm going to go with Facebook, Mel. I think it's going higher. Dan. Yeah, I like Verone's call and Amgen, but I also like the XBI, the S&P ETF. All right. Thanks for watching. For Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.